Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Of course, this is the show where you come for the accent. Wee, 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 wee. And if you're watching on YouTube, you come for the hot bod and the, the great sweet shirts and the great t shirts and everything else. Great merch. And you stay for the principles. And we have a jam packed show for you today because I want to talk to you about stuff. That is looking at what's going on in the country right now, but looking at it from a faraway place and looking at it on a much grander scale. Because we have to have start having some serious conversations. And this is not something that I have, I've been shy of saying. We need to start, stop talking about the labels. We need to stop talking about making simple arguments. We need to talk about big ideas. You know, Reagan once said that now is not the time to be painting in black and white. It's time to start painting in great pastels. That's the picture we need to start painting for Americans, for Irish people, for English people, for people around the world. Because I think there's a great change coming. But we have to get out of our own minds. We have to get out of our own shells if we're going to be successful. And today I want to start today's show by sharing a pivot point in my life. A pivot point from when I was a very young age. So when we were growing up, and I'm sure my childhood was similar to your childhood in the sense of that you went to school and you know you found school boring, but there was always that subject that you found interesting. And for me, one of the subjects I always found interesting, and I always was ashamed to admit it, because it, it's not a good subject to find interesting, it was World War II and Nazi Germany. You know, if you're a kid and you go around, what do, what do you like in school? Oh, World War II, can't get enough of it, can't get enough of Hitler, can't get enough of, of, of the horrific death. You know, you, you always think, what, you, 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 you're, you like that? I just found it fascinating reading. And I love reading more about World War II. And obviously it's very depressing and everything that went on is horrifically bad. But there's also the good stories that came from it. You know, the heroes, you know, the, the Englishmen storming the beaches of Normandy, those type of stories. There's hero stories in there. But one of my pivot points came in a history class one day where there was a discussion. And it was a discussion based around World War II and being in a Nazi Germany. And the teacher came in and went, World War II, we've been discussing it, Nazi, Hitler. Was everyone who fought for Nazi Germany a Nazi? Was everyone who fought really bad and have like, you know, hate the Jews and want to destroy the whole world? And of course, you know, you're always afraid to answer that when it's in a, you know, in a classroom, you know, you don't want to be the, the kid that puts up their hand and goes, no. What? Throw the book at you. You know, you never wanted to be that kid. You always wanted to... Everyone was kind of sheepish back then. I'm sure it's the same for you guys. But the conversation, everyone kind of went, yeah, everyone, you know, everyone's a really bad person, you know. Even if you weren't, weren't like a raving Nazi, like you're like Heil and, you know, let's get rid, kill all the Jews. You were a bad person because you allowed it to happen. You, you were sat back and, you know, you saw the trains going in full of people into ostrich what do you think was happening you know the trains went in loaded and they came out empty what did you think was happening did we all just transcend the earth and you know go fly you know did they all have red ball and grew wings and just went off somewhere you were either complicit or you were you didn't stand up for other people's rights but then my teacher actually said you know what i'm going to share a story with you i want you to put yourself in a in a camp of forget nazi germany for a minute but I want you to put yourself in a camp of where you're Irish, you know, American, English, whatever you are right now. And you love your country. And you're a proud Irishman. You're a proud American. You're a proud English person. And about 20 years prior, you fought a war. You fought a war against every, what, pick whatever country you don't like. You fought a war against them. And you lost. And it was a heavy war in the sense of casualties, in damage to buildings, damage to the economy. 
And over the next 20 years, that country and set of countries did everything in their power to rub your nose in it. They rubbed your nose in it every opportunity. When it came to resources, you were always got the scraps. The victors always got everything they wanted to build their economy up, to re- rebuild their infrastructure. And after a period of time, there's a resentment there because there was no reconciliation. It was always, yeah, well, look, you know what? Anytime you got to a place, well, you caused World War I. You caused the war. You lost the war. Tough it out. If you didn't want these situations, tough it out. After a while, you might say, you know what? You know, after a while, there's a point where that just grows thin. And then you're still proud of your country. You're still proud to be that Irishman. You're still proud to be that Englishman, that proud to be an American. And they keep rubbing your nose in it. And they start being successful and you're not. What happens? Do you think there's a resentment coming in? And then as the next generation start coming in involved and getting into the economy, and they see this economy and they see around them and they see their country not in a great shape, And they're kind of going, look, I know my father did this and you don't like that, but that's fine. I'm not my father. I'm a different person. I'm a different Irish person. I'm a different American. Do you think they would have a, would accept, oh, well, look, you know, the sins of my father are the sins of me and I just got to tough it out. Or do you think after a period of time, they're going to go, no, the hell with you. I have an opportunity here to grow as a country, as a person, as an individual. Now, take that story. And transport it into Nazi Germany. Can you understand how that people fought for Germany in World War II that weren't Nazis? Now I want to be crystal clear for anyone who's getting the wrong idea of what I'm saying right now. Am I defending them? No. Am I justifying what they said? No. Am I saying, hey, they're actually good people? No. No, no, no. I am, however, trying to just paint a picture for you. Because in this world, what we like is we like simple narratives. The media really loves a simple narrative. The simple narrative in your country right now is if you actually look around at the media, look around at what everyone is saying, there's two narratives depending on your worldview. The right are either racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Whatever phobia you have on the right, you have them. And the left are all socialist hippies. You also have a second narrative underlaid in that is, is that if you're white, you're bad. If you're black, you're noble. They're the two teams that's going on right now. But this is not a new scheme. This is not a new idea. Media loves simple narratives. Everything's either black or white, good or bad, cops and robbers, cowboys and Indians. What side are you on? You see, the idea that we need to understand, this goes deep into philosophy of what you see the world. Do you believe in a collective? You see, the collective narrative is so easy to believe. It's so simple. It's so easy to look at Americans and go, ah, loudmouth Yanks. Ah, you think everything's bigger in America. Ah, America's great. It's easy to look at Irish people and go, ah, bunch of drunks. Jeez, did I ever get out of the pub? It's easy to look at fat people and go, ah, lazy. Easy to look at white people and go, you suck. Slave owner. Never held slaves. Slave owner. My family never held slaves. Slave owner. Bad. The narrative is always there to get to you. Narrative is always to, to look at things. And we get this in, in our schemes where, you know, people always go, you know, police are always good. Nope. Big defender of the police. Police aren't always good. It isn't about police. Military. Military are always good. They defend your nation. They defend America. They risk everything. John, you salute them on the show. Not always good. There are some people who serve who are... Fill in the blank. There are some people who serve in the military who are complete, not only completely fill in the blank, but completely stupid. There are people who are great. But the idea is we make things so simple. Oh, cops good, military good, police bad. 
police are, oh, they're just a bunch of racists. They just want to hate the black person. Very simple narrative. These are not police. This is not an industry problem. This is a human problem. Likewise, in, ice, in my media, in my industry, media. people. Are, some people are good. A lot of people are bad. They like the narratives. They like to make things simple. They like, they like to point out other people's flaws. You see, I want to talk to you about some of the problems that's going on in the world today. But you want to have to understand one thing. I want you to picture your local town. And I want you to picture yourself as, well, why not? Let's use the analogy if it's the Donald Trump of your town. And I don't mean President Donald Trump. I mean the real estate mogul, Donald Trump. And you're Donald Trump of your town. And you want to say to the world, I have the tallest building in my town. I have the tallest building in my town. There are two ways you get the tallest building in your town. Either you go out and you go, you know what? I'm in. The, I'm from this town. I'm from Iowa. I'm from New York. I'm from Boston. I'm from Texas. Wherever it is you're from. And you go, you know what? We need to have the tallest building. And I'm going to get all the bells and whistles. It's going to be, it's going to be beautiful. It's all going to be glass. It's going to be gorgeous. It's going to have all modern trimmings. It's going to have lips that go up and sideways and the left and right and top and bottom. It's going to do everything. It's going to be energy efficient. It's going to have self-irrigation systems for all the plants we're going to have. Everything is going to be modcom. It's going to have 5G internet. It's going to have everything. All the bells and whistles. But it's also going to be the tallest. That's one way you get the biggest building in your hometown. Second way is you tear everyone else down. You look around and you go, knock it, knock it, knock it. Now, why did I share that? Look around at the world that you see today. There are so many ways you can be a good person or a bad person. The simple way is to knock everyone else. Is to point out everyone else's flaws to go, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck. And automatically, if you get that mud to stick, all of a sudden... You look a lot better. Well, you know what? I'm not as bad as you. Look, yes, I have my flaws. I have my warts. But I ain't as bad as you. Look at this in your culture. Look at this through your social media. Look at this through how we treat people. Look at how we do this in Christianity, which we're going to talk about later on in the show. Oh, oh, you're a Catholic. Oh, you're not a real Christian. Oh, you're, you're a Baptist? Are you a Southern Baptist or just a normal Baptist? Oh, well, you're not the real Baptist. Oh, well, you're a Mormon? Oh, you're not even a Christian. Go away. You're fake. We have this built tearing each other one down. But then you also have it ingrained in your political culture. The amazing thing, which I still don't get, and I, would, I know I'd probably get crucified. If I ever ran for office, which, trust me, will never happen, because I would be Charles Sumner in day one. I wouldn't get to a 100-day agenda. Day one, I'd be Charles Sumner. By my own side, most likely. But look at your politics. You're going to start seeing this now in 2020. Whether it's for president, whether it's for house, whether it's for senate, whether it's for local races. You'll have all these ads. Oh, Jonathan. Oh, look at him. He's, he's in the worst shape of his life. Oh, he's, he's, you know, he's a Christian. Oh, Jonathan's wise. Oh, he's this. Oh, he likes America too much. Paid for by the Democratic Committee. Then what we do respond. Oh, the Democrats, my Democratic opponent. Oh, he's a socialist. Oh, he voted for this. Oh, he voted against this bill. He doesn't love America. Paid for by Jonathan for America. Look at your culture. You need to start looking around and understanding what is in your culture and what is important. Who builds people up? Who builds a narrative? Who builds an idea? Don't worry, this is the groundwork for what I want to talk to you in the rest of this show. Who builds people up? Or do we just go around all day, every day, tearing anyone who's even remotely different down? Because I bring you back to that story about Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany. It's very simple, in a very simple bubble, to just go, everyone who fought for Germany in World War II was a Nazi, hated the Jews, and just was an all-around bad person. But if you understand the idea of individualism, the idea that, you know what, everyone watching this, we all may have a common theme. We all may love America. We all like me. 
why I have no idea. We all love the don't tread on me flag. We all love George Washington. We all love the Constitution. We all love an idea of freedom. We all understand America is an idea. We all may have all these things in common. But ever how many people are watching this or listening to this right now? Ever how many hundreds or thousands of people are? We all may have a certain core in common. We may all be white. Some of us are black. We may all be Christians. We all may have a lot of things in common. But each of us is unique. Each of us is there's no other like us. Yes, we may have a lot of similarities. Yes, we may have a lot of things in common. But I can tell you this. There is no one who has ever lived or anyone who lives today or anyone who does live in the future who will be like me. There will never be another Jonathan Dunn. There will never be another ever who you are listening. There will never be another person just like you. You are unique. And to put everyone in this box, in this bubble, in this label that said, oh, you're right, you're this. Oh, you're left, you're this. Oh, you're centrist, you're this. Oh, you're German, you're this. This is all labels and fuzz that we need to get rid of. What we need to need to understand is the idea of America is based not around the collective, but around the individual. Where each of us is unique. Each of us has God-given rights. And each of us has something inside of us, some gift, some skill, some talent that we need to start encouraging the world to use. We need to start to understand that we need to start building people up, building the individual up. Why did I start talking to you about Nazi Germany? One, because it's something we need, of a long, a bunch of other stuff we need to start talking a lot more about. Because we need to start talking about real evil. You know, I was listening to a great video and watching a great video the other night. Because as you know, I've been doing up my house and just, just on a side note, if you are ever especially if you're newly married or if you're any situation and anyone says, I've just got a few jobs around the house that we need to update. Just run away as fast as you can, because this job is, I said last week it was big and bloated and over budget. It's got even worse. At least my studio is starting to, starting to take form. Just run away guys, girls, ever who it is, just run away as fast as you can. But we need to start talking about real evil. And I was watching this great video this week. Uh, it was by Jordan Peterson. And it was, I was, because I've been doing so much work, I've been having YouTube constantly on, listening to different things, thinking of different ideas, listening to different podcasts. And it was a really fascinating video. It was like eight minutes long. It was part of a big speech he did. And it was like, Hitler was actually worse than we all think he was. And I was like, I know a lot about Hitler. I've read a lot about Hitler. I've read about World War II. How, what is Jordan Peterson going to say to me in this video that he's actually worse than you think he is? And he made a great argument. And the argument was basically, it's irrelevant to what I want to talk to you about, but just while I started it, just to point it out, was that Hitler was so evil. Yes, he killed all the Jews, and yes, he did all these horrific things. But he was so evil, and more evil than we give him credit for, was because he was so anti-Jew and anti-anyone who wasn't Aryan race, that he actually sacrificed Germany for us. Because if you actually think about it from a logical point of view, from a warfare point of view, how do you win the war, especially when things start getting bad? You don't kill the Jews. You enslave them. You make them do work for you. You win the war, then you kill them all. That's the really bad thing. But Hitler didn't do that. Hitler was so like, we're doing this. I don't care if we lose Germany. I don't care if I lose the war. I don't care if I lose my life. We're doing this, baby. And it was a fascinating argument. But what we do in this world is we need to look around at the world. I hear so many people go, oh, why do you love America so much? Oh, John. I've had this little troll on, on uh, Facebook message me because he listens to the show. He's trolling me. Oh, you still think America's great? Yeah. Oh, Donald Trump. I don't talk about Donald Trump. Go somewhere else. 
then he went, oh, well, well, you know, you talk about the founders, you know, they were all slave owners, and I've been trying to trying to break down every little narrative he comes up with, but everything in this guy's head, this troll's head, is like, America is literally the worst evils of all time. He even came out with this great thing, and one of your politicians came out, I can't remember who this week, apparently, like, America created slavery, which is news to the Jewish people. You know, I think, like, the Jewish people under Moses are kind of going, hi, don't forget about us. But hey, we're Jewish, so everyone forgets about us, right? You either forget about us or you want to kill us. But every narrative under the sun, everything that America does is bad. And he starts bringing up all this World War II, you know, dropping the, the atomic bomb. Everything in this guy's head results in America sucks. Which is always something I find, you know, on a personal note. When, when I do engage with the left privately, I always do it privately because it just it becomes a, a jump in for all. Everyone starts yelling at each other. Is an Irishman who wants to be an American loves America more than an American. But how can you have that narrative where everything in your country sucks? America is an evil nation. How can you have that? When I just talked to you about Hitler. Look, America's had bad days. America's had very bad, many bad days. There's always a common theme there. Governments. Governments. Government is always somewhere there, usually front and center of America's baddest days. Internment camps during World War II. Brown versus Board of the Education. Plessy versus Ferguson. Roe versus Wade. Plenty of Supreme Court decisions that we can do. But there's always a common theme. Governments. But how do we overcome hate? How do we actually look at things and go, bad? How do we actually get to a point where we go, look, you know what, America has problems. Every country has problems. Ireland has problems. England has problems. But fundamentally, this narrative of good and bad, can we just put things into context? Is it possible to have a grown-up conversation in 2020 and just go, you know what? Has America got problems? Is America perfect? No. I've done, when you see this show, this is my 274th episode with The Blaze. Prior to that, I did other shows. I've done writing. I've done speaking. There are certain things that I have never said, and I'm going to tell you a couple of things I've never said, or never promoted on this show. Firstly, have I ever said America is perfect? No. In fact, I'm the person who says America as an ideal, you know, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, that as an ideal is pretty much perfect. I would argue certain things like, especially in 2020, you know, under Article 1, Section 8, is there a need for a general post office? Like, yeah, if that's me, I kind of go red pen. We don't need that no more. I, I would argue you never did, but, you know, let's play along. You don't need that no more. FedEx, baby. UPS, don't need it. But, but give or take, that idea, those ideals, those principles, especially in the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights, perfect. I don't know anyone who can argue with them. The way you act, the way you talk to people, the way you seek redress, the idea of God-given rights, that all ideology is what I believe in. Have you lived up to that from day one? No. Have you ever got to know, to achieve where you're kind of going, you know what, John, we lived on this day, even if it was only for one hour and one day, in your 240-year history, can you point to an hour where you went, you know what, that's us totally done. That's us totally perfect. We have lived up to every ideal. No. But the idea of America is not that you're perfect. It's not that you're great. It's that you're always striving for something. And people always ask me, why do you love Martin Luther King so much? Because he fundamentally got it. If you listen to his speeches, he had every reason to go, you know what, America, America, America may not suck, but to me, it sucks. Because the way it treats me, it sucks. The way the government treats me, America sucks. But he didn't. He always spoke about America's founding fathers writing checks that we today must cash. It was phrased in that. It was uplifting. It wasn't tearing America down. It was saying, hey, America, we've made great progress, but we've fallen behind on certain things. And it's now time for us to catch up on those things and for us to grow, to build something. It's time to start building something. Because how do you overcome hate? If you know someone who's, you know, racist, how do you overcome that? I know the temptation thing, and I, 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 I feel this temptation as well. If some racist is near me, I'm like, go away. I don't want to ever be near you. But does that solve anything? Or do we need to start having conversations with, hey, hey, what's the problem? Why do you not like people of your own color? 
Oh, well, they're different, yeah? Well, I'm different to you and I'm your color. Oh, well, and break it down. Do we need to start having those conversations? Now, I want to be crystal clear and I don't want anyone misreading this. I'm not saying we all go to a KKK meeting and say, hey, let's have a conversation. Don't want to have any conversations with them. But do you want to have a conversation with people out there? To actually who have, you know, opinions where we can actually reach. Or do we just want to silence people? Do we just want to tear everyone down? I ask this question because there's a big debate going on in your country right now. About NASCAR. Got to be honest, full disclosure. I think I've watched, I'll go on the high side. Five NASCAR races in my lifetime, and that's on the high side. I've, and full disclosure, of those five races, I didn't watch from, from lap one to lap one million two thousand and five hundred and two that you have to land to you win. You know, you watch at the start, it's fun. You go away for a bit, you watch the pit stops, they're fun. You know, see, is there any going to make, going to make a mistake? Then you watch the ending, because that's always fun. But going around in the circle, all constant, just not for me. I know people who watch this show and who listen to this show, love it. All for you. But NASCAR has made this decision, with everything going on in your country right now, that it's time to ban the Confederate flag. Is this really the best option that we can do? So I want to break this issue down for you. The reason I shared how many shows I've done on The Blaze wasn't to say how great I am, but there are certain themes that I've never said on this show. I can't think of one thing positive that I believe about the Confederacy. <gasps> John, you're not one of those. Are you a Yankee? Well, yes, I'm a Yankee fan, but there's no baseball right now, but I'm also one of those Yankees. But here's the thing. I love the South. When I grew up and learned about your history, and sorry, not when I grew up, when I was, I only started really learning about your history when I was a teenager, but when I grew up into an adult, and as I started learning more and more about your history, I, I'm not a fan of the Confederate flag. It's not a flag I will ever drape in my house. I have the Don't Tread on Me flag. I have several American flags. I have your Revolutionary War flag, you know, an Appeal to Heaven flag. I have all those flags. I will never have a Confederate flag in my house. Not a fan. It's not because of slavery. It's just when I see the Confederate arguments, I just don't agree with them. But John, states' rights. Read the Confederate, the Confederate Constitution. Read the history of the Confederacy. Now here's the thing. I'm trying to lay this out because I'm trying to make the point. I'm not a fan. I don't agree with it. I believe in the United States Constitution. I don't believe in the, the, uh, the Confederation's constitution and what they wanted to do. I didn't agree with their vision for America. I agree with the founding father's vision of America. But here's the thing. When I read your history, I was like, I, I don't like this. But then as I started going to your country, I started going down south because I love down south. This, you know, this is apparent. I very rarely travel to America now without going to Texas, right? And I started talking to people about it. Not, I was very careful of who I picked and choose because you don't go down, down south and kind of go, oh, the Confederacy sucks. You do if you, if you know the right people, just don't wind them up. Then, you know, you have a bit of fun, but you know the people in advance. But I listened to them who would, would have this flag. And I'd say, hey, why do you have that flag? Because they'd always have the American flag on top and the Confederate flag. Why do you have it? And I listened. You know this idea that we don't do anymore? I know people don't like this anymore. But I actually listened to their arguments. Because I knew what the history book taught me. I knew what the history book was. I knew my opinion of it. But I wanted to know how someone could love America, love the Constitution, and we have all that in common, but also love the Confederacy. And I understood and I learned. I don't have to agree, but I learned of the history of the heritage of people who lived down south, who can trace their ancestors all the way back, and what they fought for. The reason I shared the story today about World War II was to lay the groundwork for this story. Because there's this easy argument, this simple narrative that we always do. Oh, it's so easy. Good guy, bad guy. Cop, robber. Cowboy, Indian. Yankee, Confederate. Good guy, bad guy. It's easy to put everyone into that label that, hey, every Yankee's a good guy, and every Confederate was a was a racist, bigoted slave owner who just didn't understand America. It's so easy to put that into the narrative, isn't it? It's so easy to make that the media narrative today. 
Ah, if you like the Confederate flag, you're just nothing but a racist. No. I'm sure there are racists who have the Confederate flag and they're all like, yeah, let's go back to those days. I'm sure there are a few. But the majority of people I've met, no. Again, I'm not saying I agree with every position, but I understand their heritage. I understand their arguments. I disagree with some points with them, but that's okay when you understand that we are based on the individuals. This idea of individualism is so critical to understand what you are as a person. Do you believe in the collective mindset or do you base in, do you believe in the individual mindset? I believe in the individual mindset. But I also believe in individual God-given liberties, God-given rights. That if you want to like the American flag, you want to like the American Constitution, but you also want to flag, wave the American Confederate flag, I'm not going to stop you. But also, even if let's say, I, let's just take, and I know there's people who are going to message me about this, going, John, you're so wrong about it. And that's okay, we'll have that discussion when it happens. But let's just say, for argument's sake, I'm right. Everything I think about America is right. And that, let's just say, for argument's sake, that everything of America's founding fathers is this side, and it is 100% right, and the Articles of Confederate, or the Confederate Constitution, what they wanted, and their arguments are 100% wrong. How do you solve that? Do I solve it? Do I make, if I wanted to win, let's say, is the winning argument going, you can't, you can't wave the Confederate flag, and if you wave the Confederate flag, you're nothing but a racist. You're a bigot. You want to go back to the, to slavery, to the Jim Crow days. Is that going to win? Is that going to win if we just demonize people and just say, go away. Go to that partisan's room. Go away. We'll never talk. Does that win? Or is it time we actually went, let's have a conversation? Because what I find interesting about America, and I find this interesting because it's everywhere. Everyone uses this word union, unity. What we need to do is we need to find some unity, John. We need to find some unity. What I also find ironic is if you actually listen to the people calling for unity, they're not called, but their words after that sentence are never calling for unity. What they're actually calling for is, here's what they're really saying. We need to all unite under my ideas. We all need to be a collective. We all need to see things the way I see things. Because I am right. I am humble. I am noble. The way I see things is perfect. Is that the collective mindset? Or do we actually have an understanding that, you know what, no, core, core, in my core ideology is I believe in the individual. And that individual may be wrong. They may be misguided. They may be basing their opinions not on facts, not on logic, not on reason, but they may be in a highly emotive state. They may have someone who fought for the Confederacy. They may have their father or their brother or their, actually, no, sorry, they won't have their father because that's, you know, going back a long time. Maybe their grandfather or their great-grandfather fought and they have that heritage and they're proud of them. And they, they understand that their grandfather never owned slaves. That they knew that their grandfather went to war for the Confederacy. Not because they were, hey, you know what, we need some, we need these slaves to pick our cotton and do all the work in the field. But no, that they saw an oppressive government going, you know what, I'm not happy with it. I may agree with them, but I'm going to fight them. That there are many reasons that they fought. It's very simple to put everything into this little narrative. But is it always accurate? I would ask you to do a bit of homework tonight. I would ask you to do... Think of what anyone would think of you. Think of what people would say about you. What labels they would assign to you. And ask yourself, how many times are those labels accurate? How many times are they accurate? To my friends who are like, yeah, oh, NASCAR finally got sense and banned the Confederate flag. Is that really going to solve problems? Do you think banning a flag, let's say everyone who goes to NASCAR is the racist bigger that you think they are. They're not, by the way, but let's just play along. Do you think them banning the flag is going to make them less or more bigoted? Just think about that. Do you think it's going to soften hearts and you're going to start going, hey, you banned my flag, let's, let's, now let's have a conversation. Or do you think it's going to harden hearts and harden sides and go, you know what, you took my flag away. I'm going to take something of yours. Because here's what's the truth of what's happening right now. What's happening right now in your country with all these banning flags, with all these tearing of statues? There's nothing new. 
It's just the 2020 version of people acting out and how they and seeing things they don't like. We've done this in the past. This is historical. It's just we didn't do statues in the past. We just burned books. But it's also biblical. If you read the story of John the Baptist and how he was killed and why he was killed. Because the daughter danced seductively for the king, baby. And the king said, what do you want? Give me John the Baptist's head on a place. Why did that daughter want John the Baptist's head on a plate? Go look at it. Because John the Baptist said something the king didn't like. This is nothing new. This is historical. We're just doing the 2020 version. Is Let's just get rid of every statue of someone who we don't like. Let's stop singing songs. Let's stop singing any song that has any racial connotation, has any link, even if it's just like, like you know, like that type. It's like the family reunion type of thing. You know the person who you run into, you got to go, hey, we're related. We are? How? Oh, you're like my fifth cousin, fifth removed from Aunt Sally on John's side and, and over on this side and they married each other and that's how we're related. And we're like, huh. That's what you're doing right now. It's so far disconnected from what we live in in 2020. But yet we want to tear it down. How would you build things up? Again, that analogy I used at the start. How would you get the tallest building? Do you want to start building stuff? Do you want to start tearing each other down? And what is happening in society? And what has been sheared for in society? couple of weeks away from Independence Day the day that great document was signed the day that great document was shared with the American people the first you know people who fought the revolution and there's so much in that document that needs to be discussed but I want to talk to you about one phrase that is just it just rolls off the tongue like you know doesn't mean anything but it is so critical to understanding why America is the country of ideas the country of freedom that is pursuit of happiness. But I also want to talk to you about it in today, today, the terms of today. Because how many people today truly are pursuing their happiness? How many people today are actually really satisfied? In the, later on, in the bonus clip for YouTube this week, we're going to talk about does God want you to be happy? And it's going to be linked to what we just talked about right now. But the reason that that phrase is in there, there's two reasons. First of all, because the original writing was deemed inappropriate. The original writing of that wasn't life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The original writing was life, liberty, and property. And then the founders understood that people would take and misuse their words and use property as their description of slaves. And go, hey, you see, the founders were okay with slavery when they were not okay with it. So they reviewed that and went, no, we can't have that. Because even though property, we all know property is like a car, which they didn't know was coming. Or like a phone, which they didn't know was coming. Or like land, or like a house, or like cattle. They all understood that. They all understood that people are not property. But they understood that their words would be twisted and used against them. As if to make a, that hey, the founding fathers are really for slavery. So they changed it to the pursuit of happiness. But why is that critical? Why is that critical to understand? And I'm going to ask you a question right now. You know what the problem with the world is today? We don't have enough lunatics. We do not have enough lunatics in our world right now. I'll come back to the way I say that right now in a minute. The pursuit of happiness. Why is that critical? It is absolutely critical because your founders... And yes, from a religious point of view, understood one simple fact. That each of us, you, 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 you watching, and me, have one life. They understood that each of us will have different backgrounds. We will be born into some estates that are really good, others not so good. The idea that we'll be born into certain families and certain wealth, and some others not so good. The understanding that, hey, I might live 50 years, you might live 60 years, you might live 100 years. But we'll all live different amounts of years. But you have one life. And it's absolutely critical to understand 
that you have a right to pursue your happiness. But they also did it because they looked around at other countries and what other countries did. They looked around at what was happening in England, which England still has, has at some point today, the House of Lords, where they have this hereditary system, where some of it's based on, hey, you get to do certain jobs because, hey, oh, well, you come from the right family. You have the right surname. You have the right blood. There are other countries and other cultures, which to this day still exist, where you have the mother and a father come together and they do their, the nice deed. And they create a baby nine months later. And the firstborn out has no choice on his future or her future. If it's a guy, that future might be, depending on the culture, might be to be an accountant, might be to be a doctor. The second born might be to be a priest. The third born might be to be a lawyer. But from the minute of conception, that child's future, as long as it's a boy, because a boy is still key in certain, in certain cultures, that that's their job. And they're going to be groomed and they're going to grow up that way. And they're going to, hey, you're an accountant. You'll have them, hey, you got to be working on the farm. They looked around at other cultures kind of going, that's not really right. We want to be, is that good? Is that healthy? No. They understood that individualism, not collectivism. Individualism is the answer. And they said, you have a God-given right to pursue your happiness. Whatever it is makes you happy is what you have a right to pursue. If you want to go be that doctor, be that lawyer, be that doc priest, be that accountant, cool, grace, best of luck. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your race or your religion. Because that's something that other cultures still judge you. If you happen to be the religion of that country, you've got great opportunities. If you happen to be the, another religion or an atheist of that country, you don't have the same opportunities. In fact, in some countries, still to this day, it is illegal, illegal to be an atheist. Imagine that. They understood, they looked around, they saw man's problems. Man's problems have always been the same. The, the ideas change. The principle is control. We still have that in this world today. We have this, you know, people always ask me, why is America so great? Why do you need to follow the Constitution so you don't come up with stupid laws? Like they're talking about in England right now. Do you know one of the laws they're talking about in England? This is great. Just to, I'll get back to the pursuit of happiness in a minute. But actually, this actually infringes on some people's pursuit of happiness. They're bringing up this law where because of coronavirus and, you know, 14-day quarantines, let's say you're single. Hey, I'm single. And you're single if you're watching. And you're a nice lady. And we get together. Aren't you lucky? We can't have sex for 14 days. Why? Because the government said so. How, first of all, I always ask myself when I see these things, how are you going to police that? How are you, uh, you know each other 14 days? Okay, get, get at it. There you go. Out, go have sex. Or do you have someone at a clock watch going, okay, 13 hours, 23, sorry, 13 days, 23 hours, 59 minutes, 58, 59, 60. Now you can have sex. The, how is this going to be policed? Maybe that's how they're going to create jobs in England. I have no idea. But that's what they're talking about. But they understood that people have a right to pursue their happiness. That some cultures with government, they will infringe on your rights. They will infringe on you going, hey, you can't do it. Some cultures will just don't even need government to infringe on your rights. They'll just go, you don't come from the right neighborhood. You don't have the right degree. Which, by the way, you still actually have part of this in England, in America. You have cultures in parts of your culture where you're going to go, oh, I'm, I'm from Harvard. My degree from Harvard is worth so much more than your degree from, oh, you're the local community college. You got a, a, a three-point grade average. I got 2.2, but mine's from Harvard. It's so much better. Yeah, whatever. Bite me. But you have this. Americans' founding fathers said you have a right to pursue your happiness. Pursue that what you want. Make of a, your life what you will. This was also followed on by the poem that's on the Statue of Liberty, Emma Lazarus, where you slammed Europe, where you talked about, give me your tired, your weak, and your huddled masses yearning to be free. Because back then, and even to this day in some parts, they say, oh, if you come from the wrong background, you won't make it. But give me all those people. Give me every everyone that you say can't make it, give them to me. And I will give them an opportunity to live free. I will give them their God-given right to pursue their happiness. That is the idea of America. 
Now, what I just said, it cannot be broken down, oh, that John's all for white people. This is the message. We need to get rid of the fuss of, oh, it's for white people, it's for black people, it's for Hispanic people. We need messages for the right and for the left, and we need messages for the rich and the poor. The idea of America transcends every part of culture that you have broken down by a label. It's this idea that you have a right to pursue your happiness. This right that you have the will to follow what it is that makes you happy. Because I would talk to you today about some of your polls. I read this poll. There was an article. And I read the headline. And I was like, this is, a, this is really good news. The headline was, more people, more Americans are happy in their job today than ha- they have been in several years. And I was like, this is great news. Do you know what the percentage of people who are happy in their job are? The record number. You read that headline, it's going to be a high number, right? 54%. Now, that's the, that's the number that will get all the headlines. 54% of people who are happy, happy in their jobs right now. That should tell you a lot about America. And this is not, I would say the numbers are the same in Ireland, England, Europe. Because how many people actually pursue their happiness when it comes to their job? Or are they just doing their job because, hey, it puts, it puts, you know, puts food on the table? How many times, how many opportunities are we wasting right now in our life? How many times do we actually have this great idea inside of us? This idea that we could change the world, but we just don't do it. We don't have the time. We don't have the resources. We don't have the belief. We think we'll fail. Because when you delve deeper into that survey, you think 54% of the people are happy? Why are they happy? Is it happy because they're doing this great job? No. Reasons. Number one, job security. It's important. I'm not disputing it. But is it pursuing your happiness? No. Two, wage satisfaction. Again, wage satisfaction is important. You know, you gotta, you got, you know, if you give some labor, you're entitled to what you think back. Commute. Co-workers. Fifth reason. Fifth reason they have an interest in their jobs. That's the reason 54% of people are happy in their job. Now, am I saying to you right now, hey, you know, go, you're unhappy in your job, go quit. Absolutely not. That would be silly. What I am saying to you is, We need to start looking deep in within ourselves and deep within our families, deep within our communities and ask ourselves, you have one life. You have one opportunity at life. Are you making every opportunity count? Are you making the most of what you have? Are you able to die tomorrow, which hopefully none of you do, but are you able to die tomorrow and go, you know what? I gave life everything I have. I met, yes, I failed. Yes, I was successful. Yes, I was in the middle. Did some things good, some things bad. But I went after everything. Or will you die tomorrow with a regret going, you know, I had this great idea. I had this wonderful idea. And I just, for whatever reason, didn't do it. How many people do you think are in that audience? Are in that part where like, I just have this great idea. I just never did it. Why? I can tell you, I can tell you from personal experience. Part of it is because you're afraid. I know that fear. I have plenty of fears around that as well. When I do new stuff, when I launch this YouTube, it's like no one will watch, no one will care. And I have to put a lot of work into it. But how do you get there? Because life has built this myth around failure. Oh, you gotta fail. You fail, you're a failure. You do this YouTube, John, you you don't it doesn't work out, you're a failure. You don't do this show, you're a failure. Life will tell you this myth. But the truth is, it's not about failing. It's just about learning things that don't work. Then you adapt and you change things up. You overcome. You want to know the answer of solving the problems of the world today? We need to be more lunatics. Why do I say that? Do you know where the term lunatics come from? Why we started using it? It's a term that goes all the way back to the 14th century in the Middle Ages. And basically, it was when the full moon would come. And people would say, they would see, literally think people were transformed. They'd see the full moon and they'd go, oh! They'd become werewolves. But that's what the meaning of it is. But people always used it as a derogatory term, where people would go, you know what? 
You have this crazy idea. Ah, oh, he's a lunatic, dude. Don't listen to him. He's crazy. He's loco. He's always saying random stuff. He's always saying he's going to do stuff. He has this great idea every week. You know, they're all, he's a lunatic. How many people are lunatics today? Because I want to talk to you and just finish up and talk to you from the heart for the last couple of minutes. I want you to think about that person who lived at that time when lunatic became popular. Oh, you're a lunatic. Middle Ages. I want you to imagine the DeLorean is real. I want you to imagine you get that baby up to 88 miles an hour and you go all the way back to the future, baby. And you happen to bring some modern stuff. Let's just imagine you just bring that. An iPhone. And you gave that to someone from the 14th century going, you know what I can do on this film? Right now, you can have listen to YouTube videos. We can watch people. Hey, I'm in Ireland right now. I can press a few buttons and ring someone from anywhere in the world. And once they have a device like it, they can take the call. I can actually even see them if I want to. I can FaceTime them. I can get onto Facebook, communicate with anyone I want. I can email people. I can text people. If you said to a, a person in the Middle Ages that, what would you think their reaction would be? They'd probably call you a lunatic. But here it is. If you went to that person in the Middle Ages and went, or even back, that's maybe if you were thinking 14th century is too far or the Middle Ages is too far, let's go back to, you know, your founding fathers. Go to your founding fathers and go, hey, you know what, I have this automobile. It's not horses and carriages anymore. It's this DeLorean. 88 miles an hour, baby. They go, you're a lunatic. You're cra- you crazy. Hey, guess what? You see that thing in the sky? You know that white thing? The moon? Yeah, we've been there. What? You're a lunatic. We need to start having more lunatics. We need to start having bigger visions. We need to start getting to a point where we're actually starting dreaming again. We need to, we have two choices in this world. And because of the opportunities, that's what's happening right now, is our whole culture in Ireland, in England, in Europe, in America, is built around tearing everyone down. If we give it the opposite, if we get to a point where we actually start talking about principles, about freedom of starting building people up and start building a better tomorrow, a better society, based around the ideas of individualism, of individual liberty, of individual liberty and freedoms, my God, how much we can change this world for the better. The choice is yours. You have two choices to make your town the biggest town or your building the biggest building. Which do you choose? Until next week, until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week, America. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.